Well, we've been talking about loving our cities. We've been talking about God's desire for how he intends to bring the whole gospel to every city. That the whole earth, it says, it says in the word that the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And we're part of that endeavor. We're part of that movement. We're part of God's gospel movement in the earth. And the way that God intends, we started with uh, Jeremiah 29, that we would pray for the peace of the city, for if it prospers, you too will prosper. We talked about that word shalom, that that word shalom means that every part is intact and whole. That we are blessed financially, emotionally, spiritually, and in every way as a city so that the people will be blessed. And we know that God gave us that mandate that we're to be praying for our cities that, that they would have shalom. Where if the city has shalom, you will have shalom. And we've seen in the scriptures that this is how God has given us that strategy so that when Christ comes, every ear will have heard the good news of Jesus. You know, I've heard it said how could a good God send people to hell? How could a good, loving God send people to hell? But the reality is when he comes, the question is simply, how could a people reject a good and loving God? That's the real question. The other question is just a smokescreen that the enemy asks. The real question is, how could a people who have seen such grace in Jesus Christ reject a good and loving God? And so this is the message. This is the message that we're carrying is this message of the good and loving God. And we're carrying it into our cities. And what we're looking to do is we're looking to see the whole church take the whole gospel, this good news I just talked about, into the whole city. And if every one of us does that in our community, in our cities, and I'm using the word city and community interchangeably because, honestly, if there's more than three people, you've got the beginnings of a city. Adam and Eve, Garden of Eden, first city, two people. They're like rabbits, here we are. So we're going to use the word city and community interchangeably, and I want you to know that wherever you are, that's your city, and you're called to love your city. We are called to love our city. We're called to love our neighbor. We're called to engage with the people around us, and so we're going to get into that next week. Jason's going to be talking about what does it mean to take it into the whole city. I'm wrapping up this week with what is the whole church? What does that mean? How do I quantify that? What, what do you mean by that, Lord? When you, say, when you say that in the scriptures, what do you mean? So I'm going to endeavor to do that today. I want to start with this. What does the church look like? What is its culture? If the whole church is a thing, what is that thing? What is, it, what is that thing? And last week we talked a little bit about the nuts and bolts of, of keeping short accounts one with another, and I'm going to continue that a little bit, and then I'm going to expand it. But I began with this word culture. In the Garden of Eden, Jesus told, told Adam and Eve, he said, here's the garden, and I want you to cultivate it and care for it and extend it. And that word cultivate is where we get the word culture. It's what grows. It's the environment, and it's, and it's what we create so that we see that thing continue on, so that things can thrive within the culture. So the kingdom of heaven brought the gospel to us, and we, the church, are actually inducted into a culture. We have our own culture. So what is a culture? Well, this definition is a very good one. Culture is the characteristics and knowledge of a particular group of people defined by everything from language, religion, cuisine, social habits, music, and arts. Now, this is a, um, this, one, one thing that I would take issue with on this is that they say they're known specifically for their religion. I would tell you this, religion shapes your culture. You, would, you might say to me, well, what about secular culture? Well, secularism is a religion. 
You see, the values and philosophies that are inculcated in people's hearts are what, re- what create the habits, the cuisine, the art, the music. It all flows out of the heart. You guys with me? All right, so here you are, the church. And the church, we the church, have a culture. We do. We are a culture, and we have a culture. But where is that culture supposed to come from? Some of the things that we've cultivated are good. Some of them may need some adjustment. Amen? It's okay to say amen. It's all right. I actually really like it. I'll preach better if you encourage me. I just need you to know that that's for you, not me. It's for you. And I'm, well, it's for me too. We're very interdependent. Very interdependent. So here's what we have is that, that, the, that the culture of the church is to be shaped by the gospel. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ is what shapes the culture. It's what creates what we do and why we do what we do. And you know, it's interesting, you saw that, that each culture has a cuisine, it has a language, it has music and art, and it has, a, it has, it has these, these, these constructs. And the main ones that you'll see in culture is the cuisine, the language, and the music and social gatherings, the way that we, the we, way that we connect. Isn't it interesting that Jesus said, as often as you gather, do this in remembrance of me. The culture that we've been brought into as the church, and I'm going to talk more about what that church is, but it's formed and begins with the fact that we are born again. We believe in Jesus Christ. We're born again. We're baptized, as it were, into death. It represents dying with Christ and being risen again as a new creation. Would you say that new creation? Now, the interesting thing about a new creation is it's not the old creation, which makes it very different, hence the word new. I know, it sounds very basic, and it is, but it kind of falls apart for us sometimes because we pull some of that stuff in. I'm going to get to that. But Jesus, knowing that it was vital that we understand the culture of the kingdom of heaven, that who we are as the church, the bride, the ecclesia, the set-apart ones, he gave us communion. He said, I want the cuisine of the culture of the kingdom to be the broken bread and the wine. I want you to remember when you gather what it is that you eat. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. You gather and you will eat of me. And it will shape everything that you do and it will remind you who you are. And I want you to take the the wine, which represents my blood, which is poured out for you for healing. I want you to take that. It's for the remission of sins. In fact, he says this. He doesn't say this. Hang on, I'm getting ahead of myself. He says, I want you to take this and I want you to eat communion together because it's the body and blood. I want you to, I'm gonna read this to you. His blood makes us holy, set apart, one body, children of God, the bride of Christ, adopted into his family, redeemed, living stones, a royal priesthood, forgiven of our sins, healed and accepted. There's scripture after scripture after scripture, and I'm going to share just a few with you this morning, but the reality of it is is that we come together in the culture of the kingdom, and the first thing we do is we break bread and we drink the wine because it reminds us that we haven't just been saved unto a God, a personal salvation, but that we've been saved into a family. Because you break bread with the family. And so you haven't just been saved, you're now a sinner saved by grace. No, you were a sinner, you've been saved by grace, you're now born again, you're a son and a daughter, part of a family. 
There is no independent expression of the kingdom of heaven. There is only the family of God. You are not saved independently. You are saved interdependently. Totally dependent upon Christ, interdependent one with another. We are a family. Say, I am a family. You are. I need you and you need me. So there is no independence here. This is huge. And then there's the blood. The blood that heals us because we must be healed. The blood that gives us forgiveness. You realize we come here every week. I rarely make it through a week without sinning. I'm just telling you, it's just true. They're not usually like gruesome, horrible sins. Sometimes they are. Ask my wife. You know, it's like, that's a, it's like well, it wasn't that bad of a sin. It's like, pff, you're the one that, get, that did the hurt, and I'm the one that got the hurt. I will define what's horrible and what's not. But here's the thing. I have hope not because I feel licensed to sin. I have hope because when I come into this house and I see the price that Christ paid by his body being broken, because of that, I am not broken. I'm healed. When I, see the, when I take the blood because of the blood that was poured out, I'm forgiven because he was judged. You see, it causes me to be extraordinarily humbled to come in and say, Lord, that was a really selfish decision I made this week. I chose me over my neighbor this week, God. You asked me to do this thing and I did not do it. And I'm convicted by the Holy Spirit, but Lord, I thank you because, as the Psalms say, with you there is forgiveness of sins. And because of it, you are greatly feared. You're greatly loved and honored. And when I come into the house and I eat the cuisine of the kingdom, it reminds me the culture of which I'm a part that I'm actually set apart and holy, not because I earned it, but because he gave it and paid for it with his own blood and body. So I can't help but glorify him because I start with his sacrifice. And that's what we do. And it shapes the culture. It's the underpinning for who we are. It's the foundation for who we are in Christ. That we have been bought with a price. That our lives are not our own. That we are no longer independent contractors. But we are saved by grace because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we eat that and drink that together every week. Amen? It's beautiful, isn't it? It causes humility and repentance, and awe, and honor, and glory, and gratitude, all at the same time, so that none, so that none can boast, but that God receives all glory, and each of us comes in saying, wow, because he's done that for me, but not only this, he did it for you, and so as the Lord's prayer says, I will also forgive you because I have been forgiven, and so it brings humility yet again, doesn't it? So let's unpack that. We're going to be taking communion at the end of service today. First Peter says this, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, say children, please, don't conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. So he says this, First of all, as, therefore, I want your mind to be alert and fully sober. What does that mean? I want to be really clear in your own mind. I want you to set your own mind in these things. And I want you to be obedient. And he says, now what do I want you to be clear about? I want you to be clear about that. The fact that you are no longer 
going to conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. How many of you guys got saved at some point? Just raise your hand, seriously. Who here got saved at some point, right? Okay, before you got saved, you were living in ignorance. And, sorry, you were not innocent. Many of your desires were evil. Not all of them, but many of them. It's true for all of us. We were obstinate against God's way. We had someone else in mind that was first before God, right? You could probably venture a guess who that was, but there was somebody else who came first. So this scripture in 1 Peter is saying there's a new culture that you're called into, and it's at odds with the old natural one that you used to have. We have to set our minds to accept that there's something new. It's going to require us to be sober and purposeful to embrace it and to step into the realities of what he's called us to be. Now, we live in America. We have a lot of beautiful things and a lot of things that we have, that we have uh, historically, there's a word, inherited, inherited because of the victories of the past. And so there's certain parts of our culture that actually line up with the kingdom really, really well, which is wonderful. Thank you, Jesus. That's a good thing. But there's also a lot of stuff that's in the mix for us as Americans that is not kingdom at all. It's not from the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not from the broken body and the poured out blood of Christ. It's not built on that foundation. It's built on the foundation of self. And it's mixed in with our culture, and we see it quite a bit. Benevolent narcissism is a cheap counterfeit for actual mercy and justice and faithfulness and holiness. But we see a lot of it today. Good for you. Good job doing that. And it is good. Do those good works. But don't neglect the blood of Jesus Christ. And don't neglect the gospel of the kingdom. So it goes on. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, You believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. He's saying you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors by the precious blood of Jesus. So we were pulled out of one thing into another thing. Do we see what we were pulled out of? We were pulled out of the kingdom of self. Total independence, this idea of defining truth for ourselves. You can recognize truth. You can have revelation of truth, but you cannot define it. You cannot decide what it is and what it isn't. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and there is no other way but me. But we, like Pontius Pilate, like to say, well, what is truth? How often do we say, well, that's good for you, but you know, for me, what I really believe is what you believe is only important as up to the point that it actually corresponds with truth. 
So I think this list is pretty good. Anybody see your name up there? I see mine written several times, actually. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Being purified in obedience means we will have sincere love for each other. You see that? He says, now you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other. The obedience unto the words of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit means we love each other deeply from the heart. Another version says it means that we fervently love one another. Hey, guy, I like your face. I like you. When you hurt, it hurts me. I have room for your preferences, though they are not my own. Are you with me? I'm not talking about pop culture preferences, by the way. You got a little quiet, I'm sorry. I have room for your preferences in food, in music, in dance, or as I said this morning, or not dance, because I love you. But are you guys with me that the obedience unto Christ means I actually love you enough to like you? We pull this little trick, I love you with the love of the Lord. What that really means is I can't stand you You annoy me. You're an annoying human being. It's not me. It really is you. (laughs) And we give ourselves this room and and we play these games. I love you, brother. I know you love the Lord, but I'm gonna go ahead and take a step back. But Emmanuel's name is God with us. And he says, as he is, so are we. So how can I be obedient unto God and be like him and be with you while I'm taking a step back? Because you hurt me. And you did hurt me. But here's the thing. You and I took a hammer of our judgment and the nails of our self-righteousness and the sins and we hammered them in to the wrists and feet of Jesus. And do you know what he did when we did that? He prayed to the Father and said, Lord, forgive them, because they know not what they do. And he took the wounds, and then he said, now, by my wounds, be healed. And he says, you guys do the same thing. When someone wounds you, forgive them. When someone hurts you, Go to them and make peace so that a bitter root doesn't spring up amongst you. When someone hurts you, go to them and protect your connection. Don't church it up and say, I love you with the love of the Lord, brother, but I feel like my season with you has ended. Ouch, right? Because everybody here is like, oh, I've said that. I said that. I used that season word. We like that one. Season is usually connected to unforgiveness. In Christian culture, it's true. I feel like the Lord's just moved me into a new season. 
translation, I got really hurt, I don't like confrontation, I'm really scared to be rejected, and since you didn't fix it, I'm leaving. What the church is, 1 Peter 2, 1 through 5. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. And like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Come on, turn to your neighbor and just say, grow up in your salvation. Don't be mean, just encourage them. Grow up in your salvation. Now that you've tasted that the Lord is good, which means we have permission to be good. Isn't that good news? I have permission to be good instead of petty. I have permission to forgive sins instead of have a list of them tattooed on my heart. I can see beauty instead of offenses. I can see healing instead of wounds and pain and infection. I get to grow up. We, we get to grow up in our salvation, and that's what we're doing. Amen? You guys are kind of quiet today. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God. Let me just stop. How many here have ever felt rejected and been rejected? Come on. Jesus Christ understands exactly what that's like. And he doesn't look at you and say, oh, that's nothing. That's nothing. No, he says, I totally understand this. And I've navigated this. And I want to give you grace to be able to do exactly what I've called you to do. You're going to bring healing to this situation. You're going to bring love where there's rejection. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I am going to give you the ability to release blessing where you were just cursed, to release love where you were just hated, to release service where you were just stolen from. That's the supernatural activity of the culture of the kingdom of heaven of which we are a part. That is part of who we are. Amen? Just put your hands out like this. I want to just pray for you. Holy Spirit, we are coming to you right now. And at the end of this prayer, if you agree, you guys just say amen. Holy Spirit, we're coming to you right now asking for that very thing. Every one of us has wounds. Every one of us has things we've been through, stuff we're working on, broken relationships, forgotten promises, broken promises, rejection. Holy Spirit, you are the comforter. Come and comfort us. Holy Spirit, you're the one that worked in Christ, raising his body from the dead. Work mightily in us that we could forgive, that we could heal, and that we could love the very ones who hurt us and rejected us unabashedly, unhindered, untainted, without limit, because you've done that very thing in us. Now do it through us and let us participate. Holy Spirit, this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we see this. We're chosen by God, precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, 
offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. What this is saying is this. God is the living stone, the cornerstone, and we also are living stones. But you notice, how many houses are in this scripture? Good job. Somebody get that man a candy bar. One house. One house. How many priesthoods are in this scripture? One. All right. It's good. You guys are doing good. We are living stones. So each of us is a stone. You're a living stone. Fit together with the chief cornerstone, which is Christ. Built into a holy structure. A spiritual house. We are a holy priesthood. Not separate, but together. Are you guys with me? So the church is one. Let's continue on. 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now... You are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a spiritual house. We are a church. We are the bride. We are interdependent. We are completely, inextricably linked There is no personal destiny for you outside of the body of Christ. There is nothing. As we said a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, the banana that leaves the bunch gets eaten. Later in in Peter, and I'm not going to read it today, but he says this, Be careful, resist the devil, for he goes about like a roaring lion. The roaring lion doesn't attack the whole herd. He gets the one that wanders off. Isn't it interesting that the one that wanders off is usually the one that's a little wounded? Kind of got a little bit of a limp. That was more of a strut. (laughs) Still strutting. Okay. It's a strange one. I'm sure about that last one there. What's the point? The point is is that we, we, we must understand what we are because what we do comes out of what we are. And the best way the enemy keeps us from the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole city is that he constantly keeps working on us not being a whole church. It's pretty hard to take the whole gospel to the whole city when your leg keeps running off. Come be one with us. I mean, seriously. It's like, don't you want to, you just this crippled, bitter, anemic, poverty-gripped, petty, pathetic church gossiping about the people that aren't there, gossiping about the people that still go there. Come join us. The gospel's great. Jesus loves you. Don't you want to be a part of this? They're like, I've already been a part of brokenness. You're not offering me anything new. You're just slapping Jesus' name on it and acting like you're holy. Is that a message? That's not a message. And Jesus is saying, you're the message. So let me show you that. Dear friends, 
I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. You want to know what the greatest, I'm going to share my greatest sin with you right now. My wife is wincing. It's this thing, this stinking thing. It, oh, it does me so good 95% of the time up here. It's probably only really, oh, I'm going to make you nervous. I don't know what the percentages are. All I know is that when I'm in trouble, it's because of this thing. Yeah. I mean, when I take communion, I gargle the blood. I'm like, <laughs> I need it every time. <laughs> Would you just sanctify this thing? God, help me. I, <laughs> like every, anyway. Wages war against my soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your and glorify God on the day he visits us. Verse 15, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. The only way we can do that is if we're actually being the church and then doing what the church does. Now, I've seen a couple of traps that the enemy has done a phenomenal job laying in the local church. He's, such a, he's called the accuser of the brethren, okay? He came to Eve and he said to her, essentially, like, God's not really who you think he is, and you're not really who you think you are. He actually is keeping the good stuff from you, right? So he, what he did was he twisted things around a little bit and asked some weird questions. Now, he does the same thing with us as the church, and he comes in and he says, you don't really fit in like you think you do. You're, you're, you're not really who you think you are in that church. They don't really like you that much. I mean, think about it. Last Sunday, nobody hugged you. Now, he doesn't mention the fact that you didn't hug anybody, that you're made in the image of God, and you could say hello to anybody you want anytime, or that maybe, if you're, maybe you could become a greeter. Like, if you're really lonely, a good way to see a lot of people is just volunteer to greet. But he doesn't do that. He's like, no, 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 you're powerless. You're a victim here. They don't even appreciate you at all. In fact, next Sunday, as a test to see if they really are being a good church, don't say anything to anyone and see if anyone says anything to you. And then you'll know. That's science. <laughs> and then, while he's doing that, then he goes, but you know what? I don't know what those people are doing, but you have a desire to really be effective for the kingdom you should go out and do some good works, which is pretty good advice. So you do, because you have the Spirit of God in you, and you're strategically placed to do so. But when you do, he says, good job. You're not like those hypocrites back there at the Sunday worship time. You're really doing the stuff. You should gather some other people who are hurt, and you can start a little club, and you can whine about the rest of them and talk about how much more strategic you are, because they wounded you anyway. They're not really doing the stuff. We're not really connected. So you start your little click, and you talk about how you're really strategic. And the devil says, good job. And you say, yeah. And pretty soon, you're stepping back. And as you're stepping back, you're stepping back with a self-righteous pat on the back, not fulfilling the scripture that says love one another fervently, 
but rather ceasing to be the church while trying to do the work of the church. You're destroying the very thing that your heart actually wants to build. All the while, the enemy is deceiving you. It's not that you have a wicked heart, it's that you have a wounded heart. It's not that you want to do evil, it's that the enemy is deceiving you. And the scripture says, grow up into the salvation of Christ Jesus and cease from this. Be alert and of sober mind so that you would pray. And above all, love each other. What? Because love covers a multitude of what? No, perfection. We're perfect here. That's the expectation. Wait a minute. It does say sins. Does that mean you're going to find sin in the church? Is God surprised? Why do we take communion every Sunday? Because we've been bought with a price and there's forgiveness of sins. So it's okay to love each other. It's okay to love each other. And it's okay to stick around even though you got hurt by Josh and his stupid mouth. Not because it makes it okay. He needs to work on that. He needs to work on that. And I, and I take the blood and the bread and I repent of my sin. And he forgives me. And I do my best to clean up my mess with you because you please let me know. But you also take the bread and the blood and you say, God, heal this wound that I would not stop loving my brother deeply and let my love cover a multitude of sins. You see, if he can keep us from being what we are, then even if we do the things that we should, we will fragment and they will not glorify God. They will not glorify God. They will say, you're such a good person which is humanism. It's just benevolent narcissism. That's the kingdom of self. Doing good deeds to feel good about oneself. And at very best, you might say, oh, I do it for Jesus. And they say, oh, that's wonderful. What church do you go to? And you say, I don't really believe in organized religion. And God says, I died for it. I wish you believed in what I died for. There's only one Christ, and he's the head, and we're the body. So if this church does these things, and indeed we must, amen? Are you feeling condemned? I hope you're not feeling condemned. All right, good, because I am not condemning you. This is really good news, and we're going to take communion. So I'll repent for whatever things the Spirit of God brings up. This is what the church does. Listen to this. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. 
You see, we do it together. We do it in a concerted way. We do it out of relationship. We come in and refresh one another. We take the holy sacraments together because they're the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We talk about better ways to serve in the areas of influence that we're in. And I want to give you an example of what, when the church does what it does because of who she is, the bride of Christ, a holy priesthood together. And I think I made a strong point there. This is some of the things of what it looks like. It looks like, and these are all testimonies out of this house, it looks like one business person who built enough equity with one of their employees that they were able to suggest restoration here at Christ Center, and it's helped them on their journey, and they've gotten breakthrough in their life. It looks like one man who felt called to be salt and light in education, and so later on in the career of his life, he went back to school and became a teacher so he could be in the mission field of education. He went and paid a price to be able to learn how to be effective in the sphere of education. It looks like one woman who followed God's call to start restoration and continues to facilitate it in the mission. We didn't ask her to do that. This isn't federal decisions. This didn't, the leadership didn't say, go do this. No, it was in her heart. And so she went and did it. She still does it. It's one woman who heard that our children needed help with one-on-one -on -one reading time, and so she started volunteering and reads with kids in our elementary school. It's one man who saw a need in our city, and he joined city council to serve the growth and governance of our city. It's one man who volunteered to drive for the mission now because he's in a new season of his life, and God directed him to serve there as a part of his regular schedule, as well as many other things, but this is just one area. It's one man and his wife who offered to facilitate a home group that's never been offered here at Christ Center and also serves in the body by handling the landscaping here at Christ Center, as well as heading up the usher team. It's one man that saw that our city had a need for an evening pantry at local aid, and he pioneered Thursday nights, uh, Thursday nights once a month, and he did that with the youth group. And then there's another woman who took the baton, and she gathers a team and staffs it each month. It's one woman who took the time to begin serving at the local healing rooms, and now she consistently prays for people throughout her day in the routine of just what she's doing, and she sees miracles regularly and people getting healed. There were a few families who saw a need for more foster care for vulnerable children. They jumped in with their whole hearts, and they're now changing the lives of a few kids, and they've become a part of their family. I want to have the usher team come. We're going to pass out communion. Many others have come alongside and they're serving those in foster care with babysitting and practical help. It's one couple that's made themselves available to help with marriages and they've given their time and devotion for nine months out of every year to provide classes and one-on-one -on -one coaching. Some have been willing to allow for changes in ministries that they enjoyed and they've chosen to resist the devil's accusations and the temptations to become resentful and critical. They've asked God for their next assignment and they've engaged joyfully without leaving the fellowship to do so. It's that some who are serving regularly in the prisons, providing worship services to our brothers and sisters inside. One family has planned outreaches to Haiti and gone to serve through manual labor and to reach and preach those who ask them, why are you here serving and doing this menial labor? And they brought the gospel. and They're getting ready to go again, so we'll keep you posted. That wasn't our idea. That was them working together with the body, as the body, to extend the kingdom. 
Our tribe together serves schools and families, giving away thousands of backpacks and shoes during Project Hope and working to clean up the schools each year and works with, uh, I believe, 38 other churches so that our valley would know that Jesus Christ is Lord. Our tribe together worships in this room, taking the bread and blood of Christ, reminding ourselves that we're a family, a holy priesthood, set apart by God's love and expense, made into the image of Christ together. We are one. We are interdependent. We are called to serve everywhere, connected to one another through Christ. These are just some examples of what we are and what we do because of who he is and what he's made us. Amen? It's beautiful, isn't it? See, this is the whole church. We are interdependent. We don't break out of relationship in order to serve God because if we do that, we actually spit on the very one who made us one. We must do it together. We must communicate, but we also don't turn it into something where all of a sudden everything comes through a couple of leaders. But we honor the fact that we're a body. You are the most strategically placed person in your sphere of influence. You have equity to cash in in Jesus' name. And you have equity to cash in because of the body of Christ. It's beautiful, isn't it? And it's the only way. He does not have a backup plan. His desire is that the whole church will take the whole gospel to the whole city until the knowledge of the glory of God covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. Let's stand together. I forgot to get communion. Can I have some elements when you guys get a chance? Thank you, Father. Some of us today need the Holy Spirit to show us about the resentments that we got to let go of today. Some of us today need a revelation of what it is to be a part of the body of Christ. Some of us today need to lay down our license to kill. <laughs> our license to be independent, you know, our James Bond version of Christianity and begin to realize if you're a lung, you need to be a lung. If you're an ear, you need to be an ear. What is an ear if it's not connected to the body? Nothing. You are here carrying the glory of God on earth and serving in his name. I need you. And you need me. We need each other. We're going to just take one moment and let the Spirit of God begin to bring to mind anything in our own hearts that we need to set aside that we have against each other or against the bride of Christ. Now, there may be some steps in this. You may need to go through the layers of the onion, but you can take a step today. And let the Spirit of God begin to heal your heart where you've broken from the body in your own heart.
where you've broken from others in your own heart, where you've said to someone else, I have no need of you. Some of us have been afflicted by the enemy who constantly tells us that we don't fit. Even in the face of hospitality and welcome, we still see rejection. We still fear. We're still afraid to trust and be trusted. And it's a, it's a demonic thing. It's the enemy. He's the accuser of the brethren. And the blood of Christ is enough to break every chain. When Jesus said, it is finished, he won a complete victory. And it says he made a spectacle of Satan and all of his followers. And so that thing does not have power over you to keep you from being able to love and be loved. You were created to be a part of this family. You were born again into this family, the family of God. You are a royal priest as a part of a royal priesthood. You are a son, a daughter of God in his family, not by yourself, but with the family of God. You are a part of the, of, the, of the bride. And today, as you take the, the blood, as you take the body broken, those chains are going to break off of your mind, off of your heart. Those limitations, he's healing those. He's removing the imprints, the prejudices, and the affliction of the enemy, and he's replacing it with the connection of the Holy Spirit and the finished work of the blood of Jesus Christ. So today, Lord, as one bride, as one body, as one church, as a royal priesthood, as a spiritual house whose cornerstone is Christ Jesus, bought by your blood, set free and healed by your broken body. Lord, we take this in remembrance of the reality of the finished work of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let's take the bread. And Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for forgiveness of sins, for the healing of hearts, for the limitless grace given to us and the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your blood. Prayer servant team is going to come forward if you need prayer or healing today. Some of you have a few things that you still need to pray through. I want to encourage you to do that. I leave you with this. And Jesus came and he spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me on heaven and in earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen.